we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Um, I've wrestled a lot about where to go after the Unseen series. And those of you that know me, I kind of prepare several series. I'll work on them uh, here and there. And, and uh, I usually have a very definite from the Lord which direction I'm going to go. And uh, this week, it seems like has been a battle. And uh, matter of fact, I was texting Jacob at the last minute and apologizing. I said, I, I need a graphic, and I know I should have given it to you th four days ago, but I was wrestling. And I, I prefer what he said over anything. He said, I'd rather have something but last minute that's anointed than something that is, you know, not. And, and I, I really feel like God has led me to bring us to the book of Acts and kind of walk through some of the book of Acts. We may go through all of it, but we're going to walk through the book of Acts. Why? Because the, the church, the early church, should be our model. It should be our model of what we're living and how we're experiencing the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And, and honestly, I'm just going to tell you, I don't see us doing that. I don't see us on a daily basis. Every now and then we tap into that. Every now and then we, we, we live it. But, but I believe God is calling the church in this hour to a place of, uh, of repentance, a place of rededication, and a place that we will have a, a restoration of what it means to be the church of the living God, what it means to walk and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to, we're going to go there today and we're going to look at uh, several verses in chapter one and we will just cover chapter one today, um, uh, or at least part of it if that's what the Lord wants. But uh, I wanna, want you, if you would, before you go into Acts chapter 1, which that, that's where we will begin, we have to be, go to the end of Luke uh, in uh, 24 chapter if you want to go there. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I believe that the image of the church has become corrupted through modern times. I really do. Uh, when I read the book of Acts and I see what took place in the book of Acts, we, uh, as, a, as the body of Christ globally, worldwide, we are so far away from that. We have walked away from that image and that, that direction that the Holy Spirit placed upon the church to be and what we were called to be. So a lot of times we have walked away from our mission, which is to reach the lost. That is our mission. Um, mission statements are great, but if a church's mission statement doesn't math, uh, line up with Matthew, uh, the 28th chapter, and the last few verses where he sends the church and says, go reach lost people, then that mission statement is uh, in a wrong direction. You're, you're headed in a wrong direction. So I believe God is trying to, to direct us uh, to, to be the church that he wants us to be. Um, it is time for us to look, at, uh, look and to model ourselves after the New Testament. The fingerprints of man are all over the church today. And wherever man has touched something, it becomes corrupt. That's just the bottom line. Um, the, the modern church of today was transformed greatly through Catholicism. It was transferred greatly through the Protestant revolution, or, or I call it a revolution because there was wars fought over it. Um, uh, they call it a reformation. There was a revolution because they were killing people, burning them at the stake. It was very horrible, horrible time. And they branded it. And again, a lot of people don't realize a lot of atrocities were done in the name of Jesus. 
lot of a lot of things were done evil in the name of Jesus, and and so there is a there are fingerprints of man all over the church. Uh, in the modern times, fingerprints of man all over the church. We have created something that is far from the model of the New Testament. And so if we want to move forward, Harvest, we've got to become more like the church of, of Acts. We have to become more uh, uh, like they were. Uh, and the Bible says they found a common ground. Didn't mean they always agreed. We're going to read about some of that and, uh, as we go through the book of Acts. There were times that they didn't agree with one another. There were times that they, as a matter of fact, uh, you'll read uh, if we get to that in this particular uh, series, where Peter and Paul had a standoff face-to-face. And, and Paul says, I withstood Peter to his face, okay? But you've got to understand, they never quit being brothers through that. And there's a lot of people that have taken that and run with it and said that was a division in the church. wasn't ever a division in the church over that. It was Paul correcting Peter in his belief that the Gentiles were not, they were second-class citizens. He's saying, no, Jesus died for all. And if he died for all, then he died for the Gentiles as well. And Peter, Peter, Paul was standing up for the Gentile people. So there's, there, that's one case that we have where the church had, um, was, was not, you know, had its problems. But man has placed his fingerprints. The westernization of the church has corrupted the church even to a greater level than ever before because what we have created is far from the model, far from what that place was supposed to be. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that in a little more detail. Yes, the church is made up of people that are saved by grace, and only through grace can we live holy lives. Amen? Only through grace. But I do believe that sometimes we have used the word grace as an excuse to rubber stamp salvation on our lives and continue to do wrong. And I think that we have to correct that behavior if we want to see the moving of God and the Spirit of God. This mic is driving me crazy, so I do apologize. I don't have an itch. It's just this mic's bothering me. But again, um, we, we, if we're not careful, we, we have to correct that behavior if we want to see the blessings of God. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see some prayers answered. Amen. I'm ready to see God move. I, how many want to see miracles in their lifetime? About three or four of us. I want to see some miracles. I got news for you. When it's you praying for something, you're going to want a miracle. Amen. There are, and what is a miracle? It is a changing of something that only God can change. That's a miracle. A miracle is Tylenol's not a miracle. Tylenol's medicine. I take medicine, my headache goes away. Thank God for that medicine, but that's not a miracle. A miracle is when God steps in and does something nobody else can do. And I want you to know the book of Acts is full of times when the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit and and things happen that were beyond what they could do on the, uh, by human standards. And we're going to look at that today. Today we're going to explore the journey into one of the most fascinating books of the Bible, which is the Acts of the Apostle, which that has been argued that it should be just called the Acts of the Church because it was more than just the apostles that were doing these things. It was everyday people. It was new believers. They were seeing God work through their lives like never before. I wonder if you want to be somebody that God can work through like nobody are like never before. If you want to see God, God's hand working in your life through your family, your friends, your workplace, your school, do you want to see that today? Hopefully we can be challenged to become more uh, of what he has called us to be and less of what we have grown to know as church. Okay? 
we got to have a reprogramming, and hopefully through this series, there's going to be some reprogramming. The definition of church, we got to look at that before we dive into the Word, and we're going to get there. Again, this is setting the series up, so just bear with me. The word church translate, or translated in the English Bible is ecclesia, okay? You may have heard that word. Several have, I'm sure. This word is used in the Greek, uh, and it means kelo, which means to call, and the prefix ik, which means out. Thus, the word means the called out. Uh, ones or the called out people. However, the English word church does not mean that. Uh, is not derived from ecclesia. When the English translators were translating uh, the word church, they used a Latin word instead of a Greek word, and it was called curakin, which means dedicated to the Lord. Sounds good, but far apart in meaning from the original text, which is ecclesia, the called out ones. You know, there's a difference in that phrasing, and we need to understand that. This word commonly used to refer to a holy place or a temple. And so in other words, instead of being the called out ones, they use the word church to refer to a building, a place, not people. And that is what churches become in the modern definition. Where do you go to church? I've got news for you. You don't go to church at Harvest Worship Center. The church gathers at Harvest Worship Center. Does that make sense? Therein lies the difference. In other words, you are the church. I am the church. We are the called out ones. And so many times we get that separated or we get that wrong because we, 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 we think, oh yeah, church is a place. Church is not a place. It is, an, it is people. It is people. And so even in the translation of the English Bible, the meaning of church is lost. It is lost. And so, again, the original language points us to what, the, what, what it was intended to be, a gathering, the body of Christ, a living, breathing organism. Amen? That's why it's referred to as the body of Christ. It is alive. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't see a lot of life sometimes in churches, but I believe God is ready to breathe life into his church. He's ready for us to become the body of Christ, not just a place. Amen? In other words, quit looking at church as a place. This is where we come together as the church. It's not the church. Amen? Amen. So Luke 22, or 24, verses 44 through 48, is, we have to go there because in the very first part of Acts, that's where Luke points us. You see, because Luke was not written by Paul. I, I saw a survey that said 60% of people put Paul wrote the book of Acts. Paul did not write the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke wrote also the, the gospel of Luke. And so Luke is referring in the very first verses, he's saying to old Theopolis, uh, you know, in the first book or in the first part that I wrote to you, the first uh, segment of my writings, it was about the working of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. He says, now I want to tell you what Jesus did after he left, what the church was able to do through the power and the empowerment of the Spirit and the, and the name of Jesus. Amen? So in other words, he's saying, my first letter is about Jesus. The second letter is about Jesus working through people. Let's look at a little bit of what he said in the last part of Luke. We'll begin with about the 44th verse. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scripture. That's such a powerful verse, 
verse 45. And he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the day, the third day rise from the dead and, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I want you to hear that, clothed in the power of God. He's saying, I'm sending you to do this great mission, to accomplish this great task, to see miracles, signs, wonders, but more importantly, the gospel, the good news of Jesus preached to every nation. And he says, and I'm not going to tell you to go and do it by your own willpower and your own strength and your own faith because that will fail you. I'm going to clothe you in power. So go to the city, wait there till you are filled up and clothed in the power of Christ. How many of you want to be filled up with the power of Jesus this morning? You want to be filled up and clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. You're ready to do something for God. God's ready to fill you. Chapter 1 of Acts begins with a summary of the proofs of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want a quick little outline that we're going to go through this morning, I'm fixing to give it to you. Verses 1 through 3 speak of his resurrection. Verses 4 through 7, his conference with the disciples or his talking to the disciples. And then verses 8 through 11, the instructions that he, he left for them before he ascended into the heavens, verses 8 through 11. Now let's break it down. I'll give you some more of that outline as we go. The Holy Spirit through which Jesus continued his work after leaving this earth is mentioned in this chapter. It also says that Jesus taught and accomplished good works while, the, while he was on the earth, which he continued until he left. Now, number one, the evidence of Christ's resurrection is declared to us in the book of Acts verses one, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at that. In the first book, O Theopolis, the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This chapter speaks further of the evidence that Christ rose after his death. The author tells us that he not only rose, but he appeared to the disciples and to others over a 40-day period when he was resurrected. He spent 40 days hanging out on earth. Aren't you thankful for that? In other words, he wasn't going to let people say they've lied about his appearing. He was there and nobody else saw him. He appeared not only to the apostles, but he appeared approximately to hundreds of people, maybe even multitudes of people for all we know. We do know that the gathering in the book of Acts was 120 plus people approximately approximately. So that means it could have been a few more, it could have been a few less, but, but they're saying about 120 people. So it's pointed out. But for 40 days his follower, following his resurrection, during that time Christ appeared to them periodically when, he, when, uh, when they were not expecting him. In other words, he would show up in a room. He would be on the seashore cooking fish. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Uh, in other words, they were out. Peter was like, I give up. I'm going fishing. And when he got to see Jesus, Jesus had fish cooking on the fire. What are you saying? Jesus will appear to them periodically through that 40-day period. Now, during his appearance to them, he would continue to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God and the mission and the purpose in which they had been called. 
for 40 days. In other words, we all, we all think that he did, those, he did those three years and then he just kind of appeared and, and, and did a few miracles and then went back. No, he, he continued to teach. In other words, there were some lessons he could not teach the apostles until after they saw that he had risen. Amen. Because they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. Now that he had risen from the dead, he is beginning to teach them, amen, things that they could not be taught prior to that. He comforted their hearts with encouraging words. In other words, he began to pour into them his final wishes, his final word before he would ascend back to the Father. Then in verses 4 through 7, the promise of the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The promise of the Holy Spirit is delivered by Jesus. He's saying, look, you're sad in your hearts because I'm leaving. I know you're sad because I've got to go. But I am glad, one translation says, for your sake. Because if I don't go, he can't come. And when he comes, he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. I had a point that I made to my class the other night on Wednesday night. And I said, you need to understand about the, the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus was God made flesh, amen, and dwelt among us. He was God in the flesh, a human being, amen. And so when Jesus took the form of man, the Bible says that he laid down his authority, Amen. He laid it down. He gave it over to the Father. And so though he had some authority to heal the sick and all that, there were parts of him that he laid aside because he restricted himself willingly to be fully man. All right. So there wasn't times in the ministry of Jesus where he stood, he he kind of slipped out of the flesh and was fully God. No, he was fully God and fully man, but yet he was restricted by the flesh. Amen. That means, oh my goodness, that means the nails hurt. That means the crown of thorns hurt. That means the 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 the, the scourging hurt. That means the pain that he felt was genuine and real to the degree of any man. Okay, so with that understanding, you need to also understand because of that limited uh, human body that he was in, the ministry of Jesus was only for wherever he was present, all right? In other words, Jesus was not in two places at once. He wouldn't be with us here and over there somewhere else. Well, you say that every Sunday because he's no longer restricted by the flesh, amen? Amen. But at that point, he could not be in two places at once. And a lot of people go, oh, no, that's not scriptural. Actually, it is. So he could not be in Bethany with Lazarus and Martha and, and Mary and be on, you know, in, in Caesarea Philippi. He could not be that. He could be in one place. That's why Jesus walked everywhere. That's why Jesus went everywhere to every town and every village and he preached the gospel. Why? Because it was his presence. All right, because if he could have appeared at everywhere at one at one time in one place, then he could have preached to everybody, done all the miracles, and wrapped this thing up pretty quick. Not three years. Come on. So instead, he was restricted by the flesh. Why? Because the Bible says he thought it not. He he lowered himself. Is what the Bible says, taking on the form of man. Now, the Holy Spirit has no such restrictions. 
And that's why Jesus said, I am thankful for your sake because when I leave, he will come. And when he comes, he will do great and mighty wonders. Why? Because he is fully God. He's not restricted. He is a spirit. That means he's everywhere. That means the same spirit that we're experiencing here is being experienced at Trine First Baptist. The same spirit First Baptist is, is, experiences, is being experienced on the other side of the globe where people are meeting, where people are in their homes, wherever you're at. Aren't you thankful? You don't have to wait for Jesus to show up at your door. He's already there. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is already in this place. He's already on the other side of my trial. He's already on the other side of my battle. Folks, I've got news for you. Open your eyes to the wonderful working power of the Holy Ghost. He's everywhere. Amen. He's working. He's moving to accomplish His task. Amen. In this earth. All right. During those 40 days that Christ remained on the earth after his death in Acts chapter 1, he states that he did not, uh, he, the Bible states that he didn't consistently stay with them. He didn't hang out all the time. Where did he go? I don't know. I know that he would appear to them periodically and would continue his work of teaching the disciples about, uh, about the gospel or about the faith. During this time, he comforted their hearts by promising them there was something coming that was mighty. There was something coming that was greater after he left. Number three. Jesus ascends into heaven is found in verses 8 through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as they went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into the heavens will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. A pivotal move, a moment in, in Acts chapter 1 is when Jesus ascends into the heavens. This is a pivotal moment. The, the apostles watch him as they stand around looking up into the sky. Two men dressed in white. We kind of know who those are. They're angels. Amen. Ask them, why are you standing here looking around? Why are you looking up? Why are you staring at the stars? <laughs> then they tell the apostles that Jesus will one day return in the same way that he left. I want you to understand something this morning, that you may feel like that you're alone. You may feel like that things are rough, but I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. Aren't you thankful for that? And if that strikes dread in your heart, I want to invite you to know him. Amen. If that puts fear in your heart, it shouldn't. It should put, in, it put comfort in your heart. Amen. I can remember, and I've shared this, the dread I would feel sometimes. I tell my class on Wednesday nights, I said, as a kid, I wouldn't even read Revelations. I didn't want to you know, nothing to do with that. It scared me to death. Anybody else get scared reading Revelations as a kid? You know, Mark of the Beast stuff. And, uh, whew. It's like, uh-uh. I don't want to read none of that. But, you know, the older I get, the more I look forward to the return of Jesus. When I see the condition of this world, especially as a parent, I'm thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, just come. Just come. And I just want to point this out. If your vision of heaven is laying on a cloud, stroking a harp for all eternity, what a miserable vision you have. <laughs> Maybe we need to do a series on heaven. How would that be sometime? Because heaven's far greater than just streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl crowns 
Oh, my goodness. I think we've got such a negative image of what heaven really is. Amen. Well, I want to go there because uh, it's not hell. I, th I really think that's the attitude sometimes. Well, at least it's not hell, but, you know, uh, it's going to get pretty boring in heaven. I remember thinking about, as a kid because, you know, we'd have them good old Pentecostal services and you'd have some little old lady say, I feel like this is a taste of heaven. And I'm thinking, man, church? That's not going to church all day? <laughs> Come on, you as a kid too, you know what I'm talking about. So if that's what heaven is, I don't know about that. There's so much more, so much more to heaven than you know and I know. Uh, that's another message for another time. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there. How about that? We'll talk about that. The Bible says that this was a pivotal moment for the church. Jesus had left, and now they were left with a mission. That's what they were left with. Do you, can you imagine kind of the pit they felt in their stomach as they watched him leave? I mean, they had went through three years with this guy, watched him die on a cross. Now he's risen from the dead. He's been with them 40 days. And I don't know if he told them, you got 40 days and then I'm gone. We don't have no record of that. But we do know at that 40-day mark, he was telling them about their mission and their purpose and talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then as he's talking with them, the Bible says he's caught up in a cloud and he leaves. I don't know if they were amazed by the fact that he was caught up in a cloud or they were weeping. Maybe a little of both. But then all of a sudden, two angels appear and they say, why are you staring up at the sky? This Jesus has not left you. He's coming back. I want you to understand, Jesus is coming back should be the encouraging thing for everybody in this hour that loves the Lord and is called to the purpose of God. We want to encourage each other with those words. In other words, I'm afraid it strikes dread in our heart instead of encouragement in our heart. And it should strike encouragement in our heart. I know things are bad, but guess who's coming back? Oh my goodness. I know it looks tough, but guess who's coming back? I know that you have lost faith sometimes, but guess who's coming back? His eyes on us, and he's not going to forsake us, and he's not going to, he's coming back. Oh my goodness. Encourage each other with that. This is a pivotal moment, so the church has a decision. Will they go forward or will they will they keep gazing at the skies, waiting, wishing, wanting him to come back? No, the Bible's very clear that they, they returned to Jerusalem. Let's read that, verses 10 through 20, which says, And while they were gazing into the heavens, he went up. Behold, two men stood there in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up into the heavens will come in the same manner, uh, or same way as you saw him go into the heavens. Oh, my goodness. Then they, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the, and went into the upper room, they were all staying, uh, staying Peter, John, James, uh, Andrew, Philip, and it goes on to name all of the disciples. And, these, uh, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, uh, Peter stood up among 
the brothers, the company of persons, was, was, was all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture has, been, has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by David of concerning Judas, who became a, became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and, and was allotted to, to a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field which, uh, with the reward of his wickedness and fell headlong. He burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language uh, Akademon, which means the field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his camp be, become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so Peter stands up and says, okay, um, we need to find somebody to replace him. And so they, they, they look for somebody that was with them from the beginning. So that ought to let you know there was people that were with the, them from the very beginning. They may not have been called part of the 12, but they were with them from the very beginning. They witnessed the, everything the apostles witnessed, and they picked a man by the name of Matthias, and he joined their ranks. After Christ's ascend, the apostles went back to Jerusalem where they agreed to replace Judas. But after they did that, they began to, to seek the face of God. The Bible says they began to dwell in the temple with great joy. They began to worship God. Why? Because they were waiting on something to appear. We always think they hung out in the upper room all that period of time, but they did not. They didn't hang up out just in the upper room, but they were in the temple worshiping God. They were, they were doing uh, talking about Jesus. It was creating quite a stir. You see, they didn't leave. They didn't depart from that city. In other words, God was getting ready to send them out, but they were not ready yet to do what God had called them to do. And that brings me to the ending of today's message, which is simply this. Are we ready to do what God has called us to do? Because I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be able to accomplish it by willpower and knowledge alone. We are not going to be able to, to, to accomplish it by just knowing the Scripture. It is going to take an empowerment that is greater than us, and I'm here to tell you there is some powerful things that come when we're waiting on the Lord. We can wait in the Lord just dreading, and we can wait on the Lord just saying, oh man, I can't believe it hasn't showed up yet. Or we can begin to wait on God with great expectation of the power He's about to send to empower the church to do the work that He has set before us. There's a great harvest to be reached in Chattooga County. There are souls that need to know the Lord. And we have not found the key to open the hearts of men. But I'm going to tell you who holds the key is the Lord God Almighty. And He's ready to empower us to open doors that no man can shut. And we need to wait upon Him just like the apostles did. But you don't wait in, in, in fear and in dread. You wait in anticipation. You wait and you work. You wait and you work. And I'm here to tell you when you least expect it, God will empower us with the gift of the Holy Spirit and we'll watch mountains fall. We'll watch oceans divide and we'll see hearts open to the gospel. Oh my goodness. God is ready to send revival to the church. Are we ready to receive it this morning? Are we open to receive what God has for us? Do we want to be like the church of Acts or read about the church of Acts? I want you to know I want to be like the church of Acts for they were filled with power and anointing. They walked through the earth with the, with the, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. They saw signs and wonders and miracles and all those things are awesome and I would love to see some of those. But more importantly, they saw soul after soul after soul come to the Lord Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins. I want to go to heaven. 
The mission of the church will never be great programs and plans. The mission of the church will be Jesus and fulfilling what he has called us to do. And my friend, we can't do it without him. The Bible says desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm here to tell you we're at a desperate moment in the church. We're at a pivotal moment just like the early church. Will we turn towards him or will we just wait it out? Will we turn towards the Lord or will we just wait it out? I'll tell you how I feel. Too many coffins and too many graves. Not everybody that is dying is ready. That's the cold heart reality. Church, we need power. Will you stand? I don't know if you've ever tried to preach the first chapter of Acts, but it's not an easy task. When you just read through it, there's not doesn't seem to be a whole lot there to talk about besides the Great Commission and besides the promise. But I think the powerful message of the book of Acts is that they... They hung in there together. Jesus told them, said, you smite the shepherd and you scatter the sheep. And that had taken place in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you see, what I see in the book of Acts is something entirely different. It's a church that came back together after being scattered. And realized, and I guess Paul would say it best, that we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We haven't followed we haven't followed a made-up story is what he was saying. And a lot of it holds together the claims that the world made until... Later on, as these men and women would start giving their lives for what they believe in. You don't die for something you're not convinced of. You really don't. You don't lay down your life for a lie. And as they were walking back from the Mount of Olives, I imagine their minds were racing. Because these were not a bunch of professionals. These were everyday people. That's it. Fishermen, tax collectors, builders, carpenters, stonemasons. Everyday people. But you see, the power of the gospel is that once Jesus touches the ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. Once Jesus touches the normal, 
it has changed forever into something unique and special. My friend, once you've been touched by Jesus, you are not the same. So quit trying to be the same. Walk into the life that he offers. Church, I'm ready to see revival. I got a message from a pastor in the area saying, hey, we're in revival this week. Y'all ought to come out. And immediately my mind, and I'm not insulting anyone, please don't think. I'm thinking, are you in revival? Are you really? Because revivals have got to be more than just saying, here's our guest speaker and some nice singing. This is revival. Revival is when somebody's life has been changed by Jesus. And if you're in this room today and you need to know the Lord, I'm going to tell you something. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Jesus was real. The church was, was real then and it's real today. And I'm going to tell you, God's ready to do a work in your life, but you've got to want Jesus. You've got to want him. I'm not going to sell you a Band-Aid this morning for your life. Matter of fact, God doesn't give out Band-Aids. <laughs> he came to heal you. To heal your soul. But I'm just going to invite us as we get ready to leave this place this morning. If there's somebody that wants to see what I've been preaching about, then I'm going to ask you just come join me in this altar because I'm just going to have myself a time for prayer. And I'm going to invite you to come. If you don't, that's fine. No judgment on my part. But I feel like there's some of you that are saying, you know what, we've got to see more than what we're seeing. We've got to see more in our community than what we're seeing. We, we have got to see God doing what he needs to do. And look, I'm thankful for miracles but the greatest miracle is salvation. I want to see more people saved. That's what I'm after. So there's the invitation. Who wants to be the Church of Acts? We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.